Here's Johnny. That are alive, you are coming with me. Do you want to play a game? Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. Donuts don't wear alligator shoes. Hey, motherfucker. Welcome to this week's episode of Genre Haze, your weekly dose of exploring the weird, wild, and wonderful depths of genre filmmaking. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, and as ever, I'm joined by my pal and co-host, Stuart Garris. Hello. And this week, we're chatting about one of my favorite genre films from the last few years, that being Christian Gudegast's 2018 Den of Thieves. And as always, we'll proceed to dissect the film, spoilers and all, using our carefully crafted criteria of the good, the bad, and the what the fuck. And then we'll proceed to use a metric of the most professional degree, a six-pack of cold ones to rate the film out of. Den of Thieves was released in 2018, and it's written and directed by Christian Gudegast. The film follows Nick O'Brien, aka Big Nick, played by Gerald Butler, who's the leader of the Regulators, an elite group of L.A. sheriffs who target notoriously dangerous crews of gangsters. The regulators are put onto the trail of a crew comprised of ex-military members led by Ray Merriman, played by Pablo Schreiber, who knocked over an armored car, killing cops in the process. Now the regulators must find Merriman, his crew, before they pull off their next big heist. So while I said that this is one of my favorite uh, genre films the last few years, uh, it was not all that well received by critics, which is, you know, sadly sometimes the case with these types of of genre films as the film is certified rotten at a 41% based on 136 critic reviews while faring slightly better with audiences holding a 62% based on 2,500 reviews. It does hold an average of 3.2 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd, which is based on 50,000 votes. Um, the film had a budget of $30 million and it grossed $80.5 million. Um, and I think most notably, you know, the director, while this was his first time directing, um, he did have... This was you know, his first time of, directing? Yeah, man. I couldn't Hot believe it when damn. I looked that up. Yeah. <laughs> it was a solid, solid start. God. Well, I think his uh, past in screenwriting really did kind of pay off in that regard. And it sort of explains how, you know, he got Jared Butler to be a star in this because he was the screenwriter of London Has Fallen. He also had written the screenplay for a film with Vin Diesel from, you know, the early aughts, I think, called A Man Apart. Um, hey, that's a, that's a pretty good movie. Yeah. So, you know, he definitely kind of knows how to write crime films that have that sort of street justice angle to it. And I think, you know, something like Den of Thieves is pretty indicative of that, um, which, you know, I think I described this film to you as being sort of like, uh, recreation of heat by way of like monster energy drinks in a way because it's like <laughs> it's this film that is not really concerned with the comparisons to that and it kind of wears that proudly on its sleeve i think uh in terms of you know some of the characters and just the sort of overall energy that den of thieves has i think yeah it, it's crazy because i i had heard of this movie and we talked a little bit about just at the time there were a lot of you know, action movies and like those direct to video heist film starring, you know, some big names, but that just weren't that great. And I feel like this just kind of got lost in that shuffle. But this one is just, I mean, it, out the gate that you, you're just kind of taken aback because it's, there's this shootout, but it's, 
incredibly shot and it's brutal and you're just going like oh oh we're we're just going for it and uh you know it's the the character wise uh i mean i mean it's gerard man come on (laughs) he he does not fuck around in this movie he just goes he eats up every scene he's in and it's amazing uh so yeah i it's definitely yeah it's definitely like if you know he was like i'm gonna do a line which would fit with this movie (laughs) yeah i figured like i would definitely bring this one to the table tackle a heist film that feels like it's got a lot of different influences again like i said that's kind of wearing on its sleeve but i think ultimately for me um it kind of abides by some genre staples that are the things that i always look for especially with like heist films and you know, even from the opening of this movie, the fact that it opens with like the slow-mo intro with statistics about bank robberies fading in and out, which is, you know, kind of reminiscent of like the town and some of other, uh, you know, genre films that handle bike, uh, handle bank robberies and the like, you know, they've got those crazy statistics where it's like 2,400 times a year, 44 times a week, nine times a day. Every 48 minutes, a bank is robbed here. Like, And at the same time, it's kind of like they put those stats up there to be like, oh, this is shocking. This is dangerous. This happens all the time. But then, you know, you look at where the film is set, which is L.A., and it's really not that wild considering it's like the second or third largest city in the country. Like <laughs> they said New York City was number one, I think, uh, for you know size, but they have a billion dollar anti-terrorism budget. So clearly they're not dealing with yeah. the same level of bank robberies and whatnot. And I have a feeling most bank robberies in LA are not nearly as intricate as what's on display here, but I would say um, it's probably most likely just some teens with hoods going in and right. <laughs> just saying, give it us the money. And then that would be the end of the movie. Not nearly as elaborate, but no. um, <laughs> I think to kick things off for the good, uh, which there will be many and, you know, in typical fashion, there will be uh, something, some of the bad as well. Um, I think for me, what really sets Den of Thieves apart from a majority of these sort of mid-tier, I'll say, action films um, is the fact that this movie has some really well-choreographed action. You know, you mentioned the shootouts in this film, and I think that what really stood out to me was the fact that this film is bookended by two absolute banger shootout sequences, and they are both very different, I think. Um, you know, the way that the film opens with this gang Mer- that's led by Merriman, who's played by Pablo Schreiber, you know, they're robbing an armored car, basically, or they're hijacking an armored car. And it's a very sort of contained street level shootout. And, you know, it occurs very suddenly, just as, you know, a perfect intro for a heist movie or an action film should. But it kind of just like, it surprises me every time I watch it with sort of the the visceral nature of the shootout itself. And, uh, you know, a big part of that, I think, is not only the choreography, but also the sound design. Like, the sound mixing in this movie is, I think, it deserves a lot more credit than it probably actually gets, just because of, you know, how deafening the gunfire is in all the shootouts in this, which kind of pushes the action in a direction that I don't think we always see in some of these, you know, lower budget um, action films. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. I, I'm sure, you know, uh, wait, what was the budget again for this? Because it was 30 million. I mean, it's 30 not, million. It's is not, not crazy. insignificant, but at the same time, it's not nearly what I would have expected it to be for, you know, a film of this type. 
Well, in particular, that final shooting, because there's no way that was a goddamn stage. Right. So yeah, the fact that they were able, you, the, 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 the sequence involves is just them basically getting into a firefight in traffic. And it's insane because, I, I mean, normally, I mean, with a lot of movies today, you know, they would just do it in a, in a stage and they would do some screens with maybe a couple cars in view. Uh, and no, you're watching them duck and weave behind, you know, these, you know, physical vehicles up and down, a, you know, an entry to a freeway. And it's really intense. Uh, meanwhile, they're all, you know, cars are being shot to shit. And I, for me, I was taken aback at like, oh, wow. I mean, kind of even similar. I mean, I, higher budget than this. But like you see, you know, the John Wick movies come out that are all have been shot, you know, under that hundred million mark. But they don't feel like they were done for under that because they look amazing and you know whether in the choreography and you know the details involved so uh i was impressed with what they did do with that budget yeah no absolutely and it it i couldn't find out whether they actually did this or not and i watched some of the behind the scenes stuff and they never mentioned it but you know one thing that always made the main gunfight in Heat, which is, you know, of course, going to be a point of reference for this film throughout our discussion, I think, uh, mm -hmm. which was intentional on the uh, the part of the filmmaker. But, you know, part of what made that bank robbery shootout scene so impactful and so deafening was the fact that, you know, Michael Mann purposefully had them film with um, blanks in the guns, which actually, you know, sound like real gunfire. And I would not be surprised if they did something similar with this film because of the fact that, you know, the sound design makes the violence so much more savage, I think, in a way that is like kind of uncomfortable to watch. And it kind of dispels a lot of that sort of like fantasy element of a lot of shootouts that are in action films. And, you know, there's different degrees of realism in action movies or in shootouts and films. But in this, you know, part of it is sort of just how succinctly Merriman's crew operates, right? And that's obviously intentional because of the fact that they're all ex-military, which, if anything, you know, kind of captures one of the hallmarks, I think, of um, modern bank robbery films. And it might be beginning in like the 20th century um, or 21st century where, you know, you start to see these shootouts in films that are representative of real life where, you know, you see cops that are outgunned, right? The fact that, they're going up against now criminals that have automatic weapons and these things. And you saw it in, I think it's 88 minutes was the first one. And then stuff like SWAT, where you have these insane shootouts that end up leaving streets looking like, you know, it's a war zone from another country or something. And this film does that, but it captures it on a much smaller scale to the degree that it feels a little more intimate almost. Like that initial shootout is so intense. And the fact that this crew of five guys is able to kind of push off all of these different police forces that are descending on them with this really crazy level of tactical precision that I think, again, you're not really expecting from a film such as this. You know, I kind of maybe <laughs> I degraded the film a little bit by referring to it as like heat by way of monster energy drinks, but <laughs> it really there there is an attention to detail when this film needs it that makes it stand out in that way, I think. And it's not shouldn't be a surprise that like they had. ATF agents as consultants for this film. They also had like a boot camp that they had both of the crews, which would be like the cops and then Merriman's gangster crew that had different levels of military training that just kind of like actually captures supposedly what 
military operators do versus, you know, what police departments do. And I think that just like it makes the shootouts that much more memorable. It it does. And it also really amps up the tension that, you know, is leading to these two groups that are going to be clashing like crazy. Because, I mean, early, I mean, once there is that point of no return where they know that the cops are kind of on to them and then the cops are kind of know that they know. There's a point with which I think is demonstrated beautifully with that shoot range when they're at the the shooting range. Yes, and Gerard yeah. Butler's kind of popping off a bit. He's like a you know he's a cop. He's a bit grizzled in his age, but you know he still got it to a point where the other people in the range kind of look over to listen. And then the head of the heist crew uh, pops off like fucking RoboCop. <laughs> and like nails the target every single shot and Gerard Butler does like a look of he gives kind of a smirk of like well this is going to be interesting at the very least because he <laughs> just shows this real difference in like training and how to approach these situations which I liked a lot I mean even like in that like some of the shootout sequences with like uh, especially that last one. I mean, you have, you know, Gerard Butler and his crew um, and they're, you know, they're, you know, moving, they're moving like police are trained to move. Yeah. And then you cut over to this ice crew and they're fucking doing like the most militaristic shit that, you know, they're fucking breaking cars in certain places. The ones, uh, the head like sets up uh, an M24 saw into a vehicle. And instead of like kind of trying to mount for a shot, he just, uses the car as a shield and then just starts shooting through the windows of the car. Or one of my favorite little details at the very beginning is when 50 cent, by the way, 50 cents in this movie, which is usually a negative <laughs> in my, in, when I'm talking about films, no offense to him, but he's like, he, I prefer him as a, as a artist rather than an actor. But, you know, even like in the opening shootout, 50s engaging like cop cars and whatnot. And there's a scene where he takes his, some machine gun and he bashes a hole into the window of the car that he's behind and then just starts shooting through the hood of the car or yes. the trunk of the car, which is just like so aggressive, but at the same time, it's so intentional and so precise that it's like, again, it's kind of disturbing because it's like, Oh, okay. Well, nothing is going to stop me from hitting my targets. Not even this fucking vehicle that I'm hiding behind. And, you know, th I think the entire film and kind of to your point about that shootout scene at the end when they're on the freeway, um, there is an, an air of unpredictability to what both sides are willing are maybe not willing to do, but what they will do in terms of like engaging with their target. If somebody is willing to like try and stop them from getting their goal. And that's like, that's an element that I think is missing from a lot of some action films where they feel somewhat prescribed. You can kind of like start to see the beats of what's going to happen. And in this, it just kind of like the brutality is ratcheted up in a way that it makes the gunfights feel incredibly unique. Um, maybe not overall, but just like moment to moment, there's that air of like unpredictability that makes them so engaging, I think. Well, that was something that was impressed me with the movie is I genuinely wasn't sure how they were going to end it. Yeah. Because, I mean, they really couldn't. Well, I mean, to be fair, I, I mean, with a heist crew, after that first sh shootout, you do kind of just go, okay, these aren't good guys at all. <laughs> because you, you, I mean, like you're sitting there thinking they're, you know, they start off the heist that they don't want to kill anybody. 
and they're gonna do it but once it it pops off and they do it is so uncomfortable seeing like these sheriffs going to get just some food with like a pistol and they get low unloaded into by these like heavy assault rifles and you're just like fuck and then like literally when they get back after that uh uh, uh ray merriman he basically is just like well i guess we're cop killers now and he's like very like casual about it and you're just like yeah. oh oh lord and uh and then on the other side of it though you know big nick big fucking nick o'brien <laughs> who I, I gerard in this movie he's an, an amazing uh but he's not a saint <laughs> by any stretch yeah, of the imagination <laughs> um as it continues they do add touches to him where you do see that he is you know he does want like he, d- he doesn't want innocent people being killed or anything like that and you know and that's before you'd really know you know intentions or motivations of the heist crew um and you see some touches of that humanity but he is a big enough shit that like i was sitting there i'm like is he just gonna get like are they just all gonna fucking kill each other <laughs> like what's gonna happen here because no one's re- yeah no one's really painted in an incredibly positive light uh not that they're not incredible especially with him he is so like i can't emphasize enough how much he just eats up the scenery and not to like a uh, cheesy like it's gonna take you out of the movie sense but he just plays like a he's good at just being a total prick that just yeah. wants to get the job done. Um, I really liked the the cop crew. Um, I I thought that especially what was it? Uh, Mo McCray as Gus. Mm. Um, I thought he brought a lot more like kind of humanity and groundedness to it to kind of like be a bit more realistic of how these cops are kind of you know being more like vigilantes than they are cops. Uh, it. I don't know. It was, it was just, I didn't really know what to expect out of it because you're sitting there thinking, Oh, you're going to be watching, you know, just like the police try to figure everything out. But then, you know, the police are, you know, getting into some shady shit too, in order to catch these guys. So you're really like, I, I mean, this could go horribly for both. Like, I don't really know. And like the FBI comes in and they're, and then like both sides are like, fuck these guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> which is really leads to some really funny shit with Gerard and the head there really thrive within the genre that it's in right and it being it willing to lean into you know what i think is like pretty thick cheese at certain points and the fact that you know you have these actors that are willing to like lay it on as thick as they do like with Jared butler i mean for starters you know true to his character he had to put on 25 pounds for the role and the entire film, he looks like 200 pounds of shit in a 100-pound bag. Like, he just looks awful this entire film. He lo- He's constantly hungover. He's constantly chain-smoking cigarettes, which is hilarious to me. Or, it's or, like, or, or snacking on something. Yeah, or snacking on I mean, the introduction to him is magical. He's at the crime <laughs> scene, and there's nothing but, like, shot-to-shit vehicles. There's bodies. bodies everywhere. And he just like walks in the crime scene and just like picks up a donut that's not covered in blood and just starts crushing a donut. Like he and, you know, about the smoking, apparently you can just still smoke in LA everywhere. Every single place he goes, every interior, he is smoking cigarettes still. He goes to the bar and he's ripping cigarettes. He goes to the gun range and he's smoking cigarettes, which is one of those qualities that I'm like, Okay, this is clearly a film set in the modern day, but they're playing with certain sort of, uh, I think, 
things that are indicative of different eras. Like it feels like it's a 90s crime film that just happens to be taking place in 2018, um, which I think is why you can get away with some of the sort of like extreme moments between characters. I mean, as you mentioned, there's this sort of animosity that he has with the lead FBI agent that gets involved. And, you know, they have that fantastic back and forth early on where the guy sees him and immediately he's like, original gangster cop in the flesh. And then, of course, <laughs> Gerald Butler is like complimenting him on his suit while also saying, like, you look like an idiot. And, you know, of course, you have to have a vegan joke in there because it was a 2018 film. But like just the <laughs> way in which the two of them kind of like go back and forth, I fucking love. And I think that that's probably the best indication of just like. Big Nick is this guy that is, which, by the way, is a fantastic nickname. Um, (laughs) Just like, you know, you're playing around with a lot of tropes of the genre, right? The fact that you've got this cop that, you know, skirts the law to get the job done and whatnot. You get to see the ramifications of that at home. You know, of course, he's a pussy hound who is cheating on his wife and all these things. He loses his kids at a certain point. And, you know, the film just like keeps it in stride and it throws all these cliches at you. Um, to the degree that, like you said, he's just fucking chewing scenery from the beginning of the film to the moment it ends. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, though, is when you have an actor like I, we may have talked about this prior, but Gerard Butler, I, I genuinely do think is a, a, a great actor. I think he is is certainly elevated films that were somewhat beneath him, I think. Yeah. And, and, and you know, when he, I know he had like his like brief time after 300 where he was kind of being put in stuff, but. You know, it's movies like this, and there's a movie called The Vanishing, which everyone should check out. Which is oh like, yeah, know, that was good. He's great in. Uh, but even in this movie, like, I, I, like it was nice that the director kind of trusted him for a moment, like where he does have like this moment after he sees one of his kids at school, and he just kind of breaks down. And Gerard Butler, he like he just can pull that shit off because I was like, oh fuck, man, now that's kind of that that's sad. <laughs> the guy, you know he'll yeah. like you know like because this whole movie that's the like one scene where he like stops to be like i have just like fucked up beyond all recognition and like it was a nice moment because you kind of need that especially with where that final fight is going to go because up until that point you're kind of just sitting there like man everyone i mean even him you're like he might just want to I mean, he wants to catch these guys, but he might even just take it almost as a suicide mission. Like, he's a fucking mess. Uh, and that one moment, you're kind of like, okay, like, this is clearly a guy who maybe did have some sort of good intentions in the beginning and, like, has clearly just, like, fallen off. But, yeah, the other thing, too, that's great with him and the FBI director is there's, after one of their exchanges... Gerard Butler's just, like, fucking sitting on, like, the, like the back of a car, and he, like, walks out to him, and he's like, you need some serious help. And Gerard Butler says nothing back to him, because he's like, well, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> it's like, there. you're not wrong. <laughs> or he starts chastising him about smoking. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and they have, like, even, like, which was something that was nice, like, I mean, I'm not gonna say an evolution of a friendship, but there is, like, a little bit of mutual respect for them at the end that they did both want the same thing. It's just they both went about it in completely different ways. Yeah. Uh, But that, (laughs) that, uh, I think the other thing with it in terms of the setup is, I mean, when it comes to, like, the big heist at the end, I mean, we see setup 
but we're not really given everything. So when it goes down, we're kind of in just as much of the dark as Gerard Butler's character, mm-hmm. uh, which added a lot to that last like 20, 30 minutes. And uh, it, it, yeah, it's just, it was really well crafted. I, which I like, I mean, kind of like you said, like, I mean, there are those, the tropes are there. Like if you're like looking for those, you know, cliches, eyes, ah, you know, he's out of his luck, this cop, you know, he's, what is he going to do with his, his friends and him going to get the guys? Like, you know, it's like, all that shit is there, but it's done in a, I mean, it's, it's just, it's done in a way that's somewhat, you, I mean, it hasn't, I mean, at least recent, <laughs> recently hasn't been done that effectively, uh, and, you know, throwing some, you know, variations in there, whether it be like just like going out and being like, hey, we're just going this crew within the first 20 minutes is going to be like, OK, we're fucking cop killers. So we're we're out as far as like trying to be, uh, you know, just, you know, common crooks just stealing shit from, you know, whatever. Yeah, the, uh, I think the film is pretty direct in not allowing you to ever be like, oh, well, maybe there's a sympathetic cause behind them. Like in their drive or their goal or something, you know, inevitably in a lot of these crime movies, they try to cast some illusion of like, oh, well, you know, maybe they're doing it for their family or they want to do something for a sick kid or something. It's like, no, these guys murder cops and they do it because they want to trade up and just fucking have a huge score so they can keep, you know, living the crazy lifestyle that they do, Um, which is, you know, honestly kind of refreshing. You know what I mean? I think. It's a little gray, I suppose, with like Big Nick and his crew where it's like, oh, this is what we do to keep the order, or keep the peace type of thing. Um, Even though which, some of it is definitely like, oh, that's, yeah. that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe you shouldn't be doing that because it's not great um, or not having the results you think it's having. But I guess it's in that regard refreshing that it is as straightforward as it is. But, you know, I have so much to contribute for the good. Obviously, I picked this film, but I'm curious for you, like this was your first time watching Den of Thieves. So I want to hear, you know, what was uh, something else that you had under the good? Uh, well, I mean, for me, another that was like a big one was just I felt. Uh, I mean, this is I mean, this can already be slightly taken from how we've been talking about it, but seeing basically every detail of that final heist was very refreshing. Yeah. Uh, going into the, even just like the little bits. And then once you, I mean, they give you kind of a reveal later on, which sets up the pieces even more. So, uh, and well, that's, I mean, I guess if, I don't know if we want to go into that spoiler twist yet or not, but, I'm totally down. Yeah. Let's get into yeah, it. I, I mean, cause it, it, I mean, cause it involves essentially, um, uh, is Jackson, uh, juniors character, Donnie, right? Donnie. I think, yeah, Donnie is essentially fucking everyone over. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, part of the part of the crew, he has like a part of the crew that's been helping him with like the military guys, but he has like this other set that have been helping that he's kind of been having this back behind their back plan all along in order to kind of take all the money just for himself and then just basically let the hopefully let the cops and the the military heistmen just fucking kill each other. You know, whatever leads to him just getting away. So you're seeing this whole setup for the heist and all these details. And then you do get to see that other side after the fact with it, 
with the like seeing all the little things he had to do in order to make it work so that uh even Ray's character, you know, is completely in the dark. And so you're watching it from like these two different viewpoints and I I don't know. I I don't think I've seen uh at least anything like recently that like really put that much attention towards the actual heist itself. Other cuz usually they just like, you know, they'll do like a 5 minute scene you know, there's some drills into some holes, and then they end up in the room. We got to crack the safe, blow it up. You know, and in this, they really do take the time. They got their disguises and shit ready. And I mean, like, there's, I mean, we've had heist movies with that, but it, I guess it was just refreshing for a newer film to have, like, gone through all of those motions. So I probably should have said this from the top. The first time I saw this film, I was not a fan of it. I liked the shootouts that bookended it, but other than that, I was not really a fan of it. And this is probably my fourth fourth or fifth time watching this movie. And on this most recent rewatch of it, you know, I really love how they handle the heist, not only for the things you're saying, but the fact that, you know, by the end of this film or towards the end of this film, you kind of think you more or less know what to expect. And the fact that the heist is as intricate with the sort of sleight of hands that are going on that you're not noticing in the moment, but also the level of intricacies that are in it. And the fact that we basically get like an Ocean's Eleven type heist, which I fucking love. The fact that, you know, they not only do they want to break into this reserve, but they're going to sneak somebody in that then can, you know, steal this money and then get out of, you know, replace it and all these different things. Like that whole aspect and having that kind of like, shoved into the very end of the movie was like a nice surprise to see that oh it's not just like the sort of basic oh we're gonna drill a hole and then we're gonna take this bag of money like there's so many different layers and moving pieces to everything and how people are gonna be able to get away with it based on their involvement in the crime and these things and i think that you know o'shea jackson jr is probably you know the true star of this film as much as i enjoy everybody else's performances he does such a good job of selling the twist, like the fact that nobody suspects him of anything. And, you know, I think that that's probably the best compliment I could give him for this film is that he's able to play the guy that's able to introduce himself. He seems like he's being taken advantage of the entire time. And then really, you know, he's the mastermind of everything. Um, And it's refreshing because, you know, as macho as most of the leads are, you know, you've got Big Nick and then you've got Merriman you know, 50 Cent and all these other guys that are the loudest voices. They're the biggest guys in the film. And you have this guy that's soft-spoken, that's getting choked out early on in the movie and all these things. Oh, he gets his ass beat by both sides. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) they just beat the shit out of him for the first hour of the movie. And he is the one that is truly in control of the entire film. I thought that was so refreshing and, you know, genuinely a shocking twist for a film that, you kind of think that when you first time you go into it, you're like, oh, I've got this whole movie plotted out already within the first 20 minutes of it. It's going to hit these beats. It's going to play out exactly like this. And to have a twist like that at the end of this film um, is kind of like the perfect ending to this movie that kind of shows again, you know, the director really has their fucking ear to the ground on how to tell crime stories, but having a twist in it that makes it a little bit more perhaps than some of its influences. Yeah, and the the other thing too with especially with Donnie is you're they did the smart thing where uh you get to that midpoint in the film and 
the cops more than more or less are trusting in what he's like giving them as far as information and everything goes, but he's already kind of in the realm of being questioned when it comes to the actual heist crew themselves. So he's he had this outsider status where you do already you, you like it's it's like those pieces were there where you could be like, man, if I was this guy, I'd be just trying to find a way out of both. Uh, and you know, when it comes to that point, uh, and there's a great scene, especially with, uh, uh, big Nick where he has that realization of what he, what he did. And he's like, just kind of like, wow, well, 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 well played. Uh, because I mean, like literally like his last encounter was with him where the cops, cause the, the, he, you know, he fucked the cops over with some of the information. And so they just find him on the street after they were, were done with part of the heist and they just pick him up and they just start beating the shit out of him before asking him anything just so they could be like, you know, where's Ray at? And, uh, so you're watching most of the movie, him just being literally laid into by both sides and just like thinking like, how is this? Like, what is this guy going to do? Like, <laughs> he's just like, what are you, what are they going to do with this guy? Um, I mean, even the first scene, like, that hints towards it where he, he un- uncuffed himself, I kind of was like, oh, shit, like, is he going to just try to, like, you know, shoot Nick right here? Like, what's going to happen? Um, and it kept going for a good period of time. And, like, you, I was caught off guard. They're like, oh, no, dude, this guy's been just, like, fucking jigsawing it back here. And you're like, oh, then the saw music starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one of my favorite scenes at the end when they're kind of like, showing you the behind the scenes of what was going on and everything is that interaction between Donnie and Merriman where Merriman, you know, he's this fucking yoked dude that is super aggro that clearly is, you know, a soldier that knows how to get shit done. But then, you know, you see the dynamic between them where Donnie's the one that's behind the plan for everything in this film. And then Merriman's like, you know, but it's my plan. Like, that's how it's going to be. And it's Donnie's like, yeah, sure, man, whatever. And really, you know, Donnie is the one that has control. He even has that line when he's talking about like, um, it's like the parallel between that and the bar that he works at where he's just like, yeah, I'm making complete control of my environment type of a thing. Um, And that's, again, you know, showing that this is one of those films and it makes me excited for the sequel, not to get too far ahead of myself, but like, wait, what? Yeah, dude, they're making a sequel. It comes out next year, I believe. Same director and everything? Same director and everything. Oh, bro. shit, dude. I that's awesome. I just gave awesome. you a gift in that knowledge. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Is, it, wait, is Gerard back too? Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure that it's him I'm chasing excited. them through, uh, I think they're in England. Oh. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's him hunting them. They have not I'm said excited. shit about it. The pandemic, I think, kind of fucked up the timeline for when the film was supposed to be released. But yeah, they're making that sequel and... Um, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think that's the aspect of it that makes me excited for the sequel is that, you know, of course, they have the wherewithal to be like, yeah, we're not just going to exa- do exactly what we did last time. And seeing the ways in which they can make the heist as engaging, hopefully, and as unique as it was in this. But also, again, you know, realizing they have to ratchet up the action to a new degree now. Um, it's the type of thing that yeah. I think when you judge, if you judge the film by what it looks like on paper you're like, it's pretty run in the mill. But when you actually sit down and think about it, there's a little bit more, com- I don't know if complexity is the right word, but I think that there's a little more intricacies to it. And the fact that it's able to kind of 
step outside of those tropes that it so heavily relies on in a way that makes it, you know, I think more of a standout of a film than most people probably anticipated being. Uh, definitely. Oh, I'm, I'm just kind of amped that there's a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'll, I'll definitely want to watch that. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting, too, just to see, because if he, I mean, now that we, you know, have this with him and, I mean, there we, we saw the other parts of the crew a little bit that were kind of helping, but were the outsiders, sort of, at least to, like, you know, like, you know, the Merrymen for the most part. Uh, but it's going to be interesting because, I mean, is it? Is he going? I mean, I'm assuming it's they're going to be going about these heists in a very different way, in comparison to you know the we're going to just go in and if we need to shoot everybody, so be it mentality. Because he was very much you know he was so you know uh, intricate in how he handled all of that. And I mean, he, he was like the one in the like crew that you could tell was a little rattled after that first shootout. Yeah. Um. You know, he's not like a military guy or anything, and uh, when when. 50 cent just doesn't give a fuck he just yeah. starts popping off and he's like ah oh, no nah, dude they they were gonna shoot first <laughs> and, then, and then later 50 cents like yeah you should just ice this guy <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they suspect him of being a rat he's just like yeah just fucking kill him yeah whatever. without even like uh maybe we should we should feel him out it's like nah dude shoot him get rid of him <laughs> to be fair 50 is kind of the voice of reason like you could find another guy that can drive but yeah then again yeah i'm gonna eat my words because we realize why Pablo Schreiber doesn't, why he hesitates is because this guy's the mastermind. And the reality is, is that Merriman is just a soldier. I think they even say that, right? It's like, oh, what was he known for in the military? It was soldiering. He's not like the technician. He's not the guy, you know, if anything, they shit on one of the crew members. I think it's Bosco, right? At the very beginning, when he's the one that kills that first security guard, they're like, what the fuck was that? He's like, oh, he reached for his gun. And then he's like, no, he was reaching for his coffee. Or he spilled his coffee. And yeah. then, you know, the reality is, is that they're shitting on that guy, but he's the reason why the power dips when they are robbing the bank later on. So really, like all Merriman can do is just intimidate people and kill people. But everybody yeah. else, like for the most part, has some type of secondary skill that's a little more integral to actually robbing a bank than what he's able to do. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I mean, even like in that second you know the the sec the shootout at the end i mean it's very evident that he really does not have much more to go on with the plan yeah because it literally just it it, it turns into uh you know i mean there's that shootout you know in the traffic but after that i mean it's literally he literally he he doesn't have anything on him and as far as he he just books it and uh gerard you know chases after him so you're sitting there thinking, oh, maybe he has a plan or something. And you're waiting for that moment to be like, oh, no, he has someone else. Or there's something going on here uh, that's going to, you know, because at that point, we don't know that, you know, Donnie's character has been fucking with everybody. Well, his his backup plan is I'm going to take out a saw machine gun and I'm going to kill every single person on this freeway. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of the perfect way to display his character. It's like. Oh, his plan is just to kill everybody in the vicinity of where he is. That's all he can think to do. I mean, even at the end, he's just like, I mean, but his, his chase with Gerard, I mean, it ends essentially with him just being shot to death. Uh, but even, I mean, even uh, Nick's character, he, 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 you know, he's so amped the whole movie to kill this guy that it actually caught me off guard that he actually did give him a shot to live. 
that you're sitting there like, oh, fuck. Dude, like, yeah, I mean, but at that point, we know he's also that uh, uh, Ray's character is out of bullets. But, uh, you know, Nick doesn't know that. And he's like, gives him a shot to live. And I was like, oh, that's wow. That's some character development. Uh, and uh, yeah. So then he, when you like, that's the funny thing, too, with that scene is when it ends, it feels somewhat anticlimactic, but it's so intentional. Because you're just kind of like, okay, you got him. <laughs> it's probably why the twist plays as well as it does, right? Because if the movie just ended with him just killing Merriman, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, well, yeah. I mean, these types of movies can only end two ways. Either the good guy gets killed in a blaze of glory or the bad guy dies in a blaze of what they perceive to be glory, right? So the yeah. fact that you have that twist really does make the film have an ending that is far better probably than you would suspect or that it deserves to a certain degree. Right. And that's why I think every time I rewatch this movie, despite how long it is, um, which I'll get to later, um, <laughs> it's the type of thing that I'm just kind of like impressed with the way it's able to kind of build that Russian nest egg, if you will, of surprises. And the fact that once you get to the interior of it, what it really is, you start to watch it differently the second time um, and the third time and the fourth time in my case. But yeah, you know, it's the type of film that I think you really you got to look past even my sort of degrading description of it um, because it's doing a lot more, I think, than not only people would be expecting, but the fact that this film would probably get the same type of, I suppose, reception just based off of sort of what I said earlier about how critics received it, how audiences received it, even if it didn't have that twist ending at the end of it. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you just take it for what it is. It's very tropey. It's very sort of cheesy at times. It's got fantastic gunfights. And the fact that we get that ending that we do get, you know, for me, that just ranks this so much higher than some of these other bank robbery movies and heist films. I mean, something like The Town, which I enjoy a lot, that movie for me doesn't have a great ending. I don't think that ending is very interesting because if anything, it's very predictable. It's exactly what you would expect from a movie like that. Um, and in this, to have a surprise like it does is just refreshing and just, you know, it's playing against what you expect from these types of movies. Well, not only that, but it, it doesn't it doesn't feel unwarranted. It, yes. You know, it wasn't like a twist to be a twist. Sure. Like when exactly. it happens, you're just going like, oh, shit. I mean, they do give you some more pieces you didn't quite have. But even I mean, I mean, the great thing is, is you, 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 you know, you're following along. You are in Gerard's mindset of mm -hmm. him kind of trying to piece it together at the end. Cause he's just like, they we're going to try to steal a bunch of shredded money. He's like, that doesn't <laughs> sound right. He's like, and he's, and you know, and then, you know, uh, at that point, Donnie's gone. So, I mean, that next portion is him kind of going around like, what did I miss? <laughs> uh, which re results in a really good scene with him in the bar. Um, I really like that that uh, sequence with him uh, talking with I would assume the owner, uh, and uh, he and this when he starts like <laughs> seeing all those pieces and realizing that Ed, not only himself but everyone involved got played by this guy, uh, and it was yeah it it feels very much uh, it, it fits with everything else going on in the movie. You're not sitting there going like oh there's a twist. Let's just throw a twist in there. It's like, no, it, it, it goes along with it. And like you said, you know, it's, it prevents it from being a, oh, well, they got the guy. By the way, you just mentioned the bar. 
You know the bar owner that they cut to once or twice in the film? Uh, yes. So that is the director's father. Oh, no kidding. And that guy apparently is super famous from being on The Young and the Restless, which I guess is a soap opera. I've heard of the show. I've never watched it. Just one of those random little tidbits where I was just like, why do they keep giving this bar owner screen time multiple times who has real no impact on anything? And then I had to look it up and it turns out that's his father. Wow. Well, I mean, that's that's a fun fact. I like it. <laughs> I mean, least, way, way for me to bring the conversation to no, a grinding halt with a no, completely no, non-essential fun fact. Well, no, but it makes sense, though, no, why he would write, though, that like kind of exchange at the end. Sure. That makes sense then. I'm like, oh, okay. Because like at the beginning, yeah, you, you get a flash of him. Right. And then at the end, he has like an exchange with Gerard Butler. But it's a good exchange. It's like not like anything like groundbreaking, but that makes more sense now. <laughs> so, oh dude yeah no it's it, you're no you're good I thought. I was... <laughs> so for the rest of my good for this film since we've basically covered a good deal of what i really like about this movie i kind of just have like bullet points for like random little things they're not necessarily categories but you know one thing a scene that i really really like in this movie that is you know probably the most i suppose like Again, I keep coming back to this just like kind of monster energy rendition of Heat. They basically deconstruct from Heat the scene where they capture the cops and then the robbers at their respective dinner parties with their families to like actually humanize them. Oh, and in this yes. film, they re they deconstruct those moments, but it set it like a Benihana because of fucking course it is. It's just like <laughs> this shitty restaurant that, you know, like white people that don't really eat a lot of foreign foods go to. And the fact that you have this kind of like very intense standoff between um, Big Nick and then Merriman's crew and all of them. And then you get that fucking fantastic line where Merriman finally stands up after, you know, Big Nick is harassing the shit out of them in front of their girls. And he's just like, don't really appreciate you popping off, bro. Like, yeah, just, like, <laughs> I, I got to say, Pablo Schreiber, he plays such a great like street level scumbag. The way yes. that he delivers every single one of those lines absolutely kills me. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, I mean, when he get, like comes up to the table the first time, Gerard's trying to do the good guy. Like, hey, I know you from the gym to yeah, Donnie's he's character. To all, like, suave he's being about it. a little suave. And it's hilarious, though, too, though, because when Nick picks up that uh ray is just not having any of it and doesn't yeah. care then he instantly starts delving into just being a total prick back yeah and it's so <laughs> funny <laughs> it's also funny too because like you said they're in like a benihana and everyone's like dressed to the nines yeah like this is the most fancy establishment ever and except merriman i think isn't he wearing he's a, wearing like uh, a tank top i think yeah he's wearing like a tank but top everyone with... else is like in suits and then, like, the two wives are there, and, and Nick then starts making some crass remarks. Uh, nothing about, what was, what was, I can't remember the exact remark. It was nothing about them, but he makes, like, a really crass remark about something. And they give him a look. He's like, oh, sorry. And then he continues on just rum, just oh, going into them. Oh, he goes there them. for the ass. I think oh, that was it. That yeah. was it. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I come here for the ass. And, like, the women look at him. He's like, oh. Sorry, and then he just like kind of goes back into just ripping into the the gang. Yeah, and he just doesn't miss a beat. It's just so it's it's funny too because like you also 
totally feel like that. Man, if you were in this restaurant, how fucking awkward this exchange is. Oh, my God. You imagine if you got seat because that's the thing with Benihana, right, is that you just sit with whoever. And like usually. the whole room's open. Like, everything's low, so you're going to see anything that's going on in there. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> you're, like, a guy or two people that are on their own and sitting at the end of Merriman's table, and it's just like, <laughs> what is going on? Who is this man that's just accosting these people? Oh, God. It's like, yeah, it's... It's really, no, that's a, a great scene. And that kind of plays off of one of my favorite aspects of this movie that is completely fucking ridiculous. Like in, again, I'm taking it back to Heat. In Heat, it's very much like professionals on opposite ends of the law, right? You've got the career criminals, you've got the career law enforcement that are hunting them. But in this film, the connection between the two crews is like not a level of professionalism. It's the fact that Big Nick played against merriman and some of his homies in high school football like that's how deep the rivalry is and then also <laughs> like they mur he murdered one of his friends or something like that like it's just it's so i don't know it's so like i, I don't want to say white trash but it's just like <laughs> it's just like this completely ridiculous thing where it's like oh yeah there's like this 30 year beef between these people and it all relates to fucking high school football to the degree that like big nick kind of like throws it in their face. He's like, yeah, you were a piece of shit back in the day. You're a piece of shit now. <laughs> and then he makes some crack about like Samoans or something. Um, oh, yeah. One of his, the one, one one of his of the squad members too is like, oh, there's two passports on the street. It's sports and the military. And I was like, those two things are not that similar at all. <laughs> <laughs> They're two very different things. Uh, I mean, it's great too, because at that point, Gus gets up to go to him and he's like, dude, like, you've done enough. Yeah. Like, yeah. you made your point. <laughs> I love that Big Nick is the fucking, like, the boss, the head honcho, and yet his own guys have to fucking rein him in for half of the movie. That... They're like, how about you, like, relax? You're kind of, like, stepping on our investigation. Yeah, which was which was actually nice to see, because usually it's just a bunch of lackeys that'll just do whatever is said to them. Where in this, you could definitely tell they all actually do like like each other and don't want anybody doing anything that's going to, you know, <laughs> jeopardize everything. While Nick is also just like a total like, like there's a scene when Nick is handed divorce papers and you could tell he's just like, you know, he's you know, he's kind of in shock and, and sad about it. But then one of his buddies comes and he's like, OK, welcome to the crew. We got to go. You know, like we've all been there. We got to go. <laughs> just like, At the same time, he's just like, welcome to the club. Like that shit happens. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, that's actually it's not in my bad, but it's in my what the fuck, because I think it's the funniest fucking thing in the world was how he gets caught cheating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's I, I'll, I'll, I'll just wait. I'll wait for that. <laughs> it just made me laugh. There are so many moments like that throughout this movie. I guess the last scene that I really wanted to mention, which you actually mentioned, I think, earlier, um, but it was uh, the shooting range standoff between Big Nick and Merriman, which I absolutely love how that, again, it begins with, of course, Big Nick walking inside somewhere and just immediately ripping a cigarette, which is just like, yes, <laughs> just exudes I don't give a fuck energy. But the fact that you get that standoff between them, which is basically like a dick measuring contest, but with guns um, is great because, you know, you have Big Nick who presents himself as this badass that, you know, every criminal fears and whatnot. And then you just have Merriman who's like, actually, I'm going to blow through all every single mag I have. And then everything is like perfectly center mass kill shots for everything. And it's like, 
It's just so aggressive and it's so over the top. But at the same time, it's like the perfect primer, I think, for that ending shootout, which you mentioned, which is equally aggressive in the best way possible, whether it's choreography or just the general, you know, sort of um, aggressiveness, I think. And that's probably the best way I think I could describe the shootouts overall, if I'm going to circle back to those is just, you know, I don't know, a lot of the times I feel like shootouts in movies that again, they kind of feel a little prescribed to what you expect. And in these, everything is so aggressive, but at the same time, so precise, whether it's how it's being shot, how it's choreographed in their movements and the sort of like tactics that everybody on both sides is using. I mean, you have one guy that is, um, I think it's, what is it? Tony Z or something. That's the sort of like the marksman on Big Nick's crew, who's basically like doing those Rainbow Six Siege leans around cars the entire time, like little shit like that. And then you've got, I don't know. There's a level of precision in everything that is surprising every single time you see a shootout in this film, considering how aggressive everything is. They at least like slow down the movements that everybody is making um, that just make them that much more memorable. Yeah. I, I, the other thing I, I like just to go into that scene too, just a little bit, which was another cool thing is because I mean, after that range scene, which is one of my favorite scenes in it is Gerard know or, or well Nick's character, he knows now that he's not. This is not someone he can fuck around with at all, and that this is somebody that they need to you know put put basically put him down when they have the chance. And uh, which once again is why it, it's so like for me was so surprising that he actually did give him a chance to kind of get give himself up. Uh, but yeah, the, he, when they go into this shootout. I, th- I think the thing with me with the films recently that have like big massive shootouts, I would say it's probably started more so early 2000s to now is that you mostly when there's like big area gunfights, um, it's very Jason Bourne esque and like it's just kind of quick shots and people falling over all over the yeah. place. And you're just kind of like, OK, people are getting gunned down. Let's go here. Where in this uh, it's it's the, the every shot feels very very i mean kind of like you said like they may have just they could have also been using blanks honestly um or they just had a really good sound design yeah uh, because every shot really felt like it counted i mean even mm-hmm. when when uh ray pops off with the 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 saw on the back of the car and he's just unloading into all of these civilian vehicles and he doesn't check to see like oh civilians all got out like he just starts <laughs> yeah. unloading and you're like jesus and I mean, crew members, I mean, the, the first part of uh, Nick's team, he gets shot in the neck and just you just hear him drowning to death on the ground in yeah. his blood. There's something there's something very disturbing about the casual nature that violence unfolds in this movie in a good way. Um, yeah. And it, but they actually but the with with that is like they actually show the consequences of it. Like, it's not like just a, oh, okay, they just killed like a bunch of people. Like, that first scene when it ends, the first shootout with the with the cops, you're just kind of like, Jesus, that was, that was, I mean, it was really well done, but man, that was, that was rough. And then that ending scene, I mean, you know, people are, are getting shot. Like, one of his guys gets shot straight up just in his knee. His knee, dead center of his knee, his leg gets lit up. And then Nick takes like a bullet to the hand and he's like fucking up holding his gun and shit. Like... You know, it feels like these guys are in, in an actual gunfight as opposed to just a choreographed, you know, dance that it usually is. Feels like the OK Corral a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just guys like, you know, you got a, a big, heavy LMG at the end. You know, Nick's running around with his pistol. You got other guys, you know, it's just like, it's crazy. It's it's like madness, which really adds to that, you know, feeling. Because in reality, you know, that sequence, you know, you're shot on just like a part of a freeway. But uh, when you have all these cars around and they're all being like laid into with bullets and shit and people are, you know, diving for cover, there's civilians that are being let out right away. You're just kind of like, what the, f-? like, this is, <laughs> it is so chaotic, but it's so, like, as you said, it's done in such a precise way that you can't help but like be engrossed in what's going on with it. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think that for me, that is the biggest tell of somebody that not only is ingrained in sort of the, I suppose, the subgenre of crime films that they're making, right? Which is very, I would say, like street level, right? It's kind of like thriving in, if anything, I would say this is the type of film that David Ayer wishes he could make in a lot of ways. I was going to say, if anyone saw the cover of this, I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, this looks like someone trying to make a David Ayer movie and write it off. This has David Ayer energy, but it lacks... Uh, David Ayer lacks, I think, the precision overall to make a film like this. You know, granted, I I think Fury is one of my favorite war movies, and David Ayer did that film. But for me personally, like, a lot of his movies feel very messy, but it still thrives on this level of energy. And, you know, I think that whether it's because Christian Gudegas just, like, has the wherewithal to write a script, he knows how to block out scenes with this, but also... A big compliment needs to go to cinematographer Terry Stacy, who, as you said, you know, he really understands how to capture action in a way that lets you kind of sit in the moment. Um, I think that a lot of times when you have, I suppose, I don't want to say low budget, but when you have action films or you have films that have like this kind of gray area budget of 30 million where it's like, okay, how much of that is going towards the actual action sequences? How much of that is just because of the budget that needs to go towards these actors that have a certain threshold for a salary that they need or uh, whatever payment for this film. And then it doesn't just feel like a series of quick cuts, which is my number one, I think would assume most people fucking can't stand that with these films that typically have a lot of quick cuts that don't really make you feel involved in what's happening. And this film I think is filmed in a way that it allows you to kind of like soak in the violence in a way that's really uncomfortable and, you know, at times is disturbing. And that kind of makes it that much more affecting, obviously. Um, and I think ultimately that's kind of what sets this apart from a lot of other heist films that maybe don't give the same level of uh, time to those elements. I, I completely agree. It's it's nice to see. The, I mean, I will I will give one shout out to David. I, I am a fan of Street Kings. <laughs> with Keanu Reeves. I haven't seen I, I, that since high school, so I couldn't yeah, speak it, to it. <laughs> I, I think that's a solid, a solid flick, but not a heist movie though, by any means. But uh, no, I totally hear you though on that energy because it does. I mean, it is. I mean, actually, I mean, really, on paper, you're like this kind of group of cops that kind of have their almost their own like gang unit trying to take down this heist crew of military men. Like you're like, oh, okay, that does that could be a David Ayer movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, if he got it, it would be like Shia LaBeouf versus, I don't know. Who else is big right now? Uh, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet versus Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh, gosh. Even though the Beekeeper movie looks cool coming out. Uh, anyway, sorry. Back on track. 
before I divulge what my bad was, I want to give you a chance. If you had anything else in the good, I I have a good that's going to lead into a bad. All right, perfect. There is a scene that I do think is funny involving Fifty Cent and his daughter's prom date, where I kind of was like, "Oh, okay." There are some emotions here. I had it from like, a what the fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it could fit for a what the fuck scene just because it's like it feels almost out of a different movie. Yes. Um, But like that's like the only scene, which is why it's going to go into some of the bad where like they seem to have like kind of like a nice moment with that crew mm-hmm. at all. Um, But yeah, I got a chuckle from that scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we can't not talk about that scene. That scene is so in line with just like the level of, I don't know, I suppose, aggressiveness of the film. But at the same time, like there's a level of pettiness there that feels completely uncharacteristic of the characters that are actually doing it. So like basically it's about 50 Cent's daughter's prom date shows up. And 50 Cent, of course, shows up and is just, like, super intimidating. He's like, let me holler like at you for a second. Like, in a wife beater, just yeah. ready to go at him. And naturally, he, like, pushes the kid's uh, bandana handkerchief down where he's just, like, no affiliations kind of thing. And so he drags him into the uh, garage. And then, you know, there's these massive Samoan dudes that – and 50 Cent gives him a speech, like, unless you want your mother to, like, wheel you around the rest of your life or something, like, have my daughter home by 1130 or something – which is just like so over the top, but if the scene ended there with him just threatening this kid, oh, I'd be yeah. like, oh no, yeah, it's be... pretty characteristic of Fifty Cent and these guys. But then like Merriman kind of looks at Fifty and smiles. He's like, I think he got the message, bro. And then they all like dap each other up, and I was like, I don't know that these guys that are cop killers really are like. <laughs> well, I mean, it's more so... it up with each other and shit. It's I, well, that's the weirdest part of it is like in the rest of the movie like they're all so straight laced with one another and don't really seem to have very close of a relationship in any way. It feels very soldiery, but like, you don't, I, I mean like even when that scene that like after that scene, I was like, Oh, I guess they must have a little bit more of a history than we thought. He's at his house. Right. Uh, but it just does feel, it feels a bit out of place, but I will give it credit of at least I kind of was like, okay, I guess there's a little bit of camaraderie there, I guess. But once you, like you said, though, then you're sitting there, you're like, I just watched you guys like massacre a group of cops. Yeah. And they also don't fuck with each other or joke around. Like you said, they don't do any of that the entire film. And so to have that moment, I was like, oh, this was probably better suited for like the director's cut. Cause then you'd see it and you'd understand why it didn't make it in the final film. But to like include that moment. And I think, saving that scene right before the getting into the bad is a perfect example because at two hours and 20 minutes this film as much as i enjoy it every time like i enjoy it more every time i watch it this movie does not need to be that long and it feels incredibly long-winded at times specifically you know i think that this movie delves into certain characters way too much and you know the movie is very clearly conscious of the fact that it is doing a rendition of heat. It is playing and leaning more into tropes and genre norms in these things a lot more than, you know, anything like heat ever did. So the fact that they feel the need to like spell out certain things about characters and include certain scenes, it's kind of just like a shrug and confusing for me because I'm kind of like, okay, 
I get Jared Butler's a piece of shit. You establish that within the first, you know, 20 minutes of the movie. Do we have to have a scene where he's losing his kids? Do we have to have a scene of him, you know, confronting his now ex-wife's new boyfriend or whatever? Like there are these scenes that go on for, you know, some of them are five or 10 minutes long and they just start to like pile up to the degree that I'm like, yeah, we could have assumed all this or we could have inferred all of this. I don't necessarily know that we need to have entire scenes devoted to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I mean, my thing is definitely just because of the length, there is some pacing issues. I mean, there are times you're sitting there you're like, okay, we didn't have to spend this much time. I think the scene with Gerard and his kids was, was good just to have that because of just kind of that ending scene with him where he kind of is saying bye to his daughter. Cause he's also like kind of in that mindset of, I could be like dead tomorrow probably. Yeah. And then he's like reflecting on, you know, how he's been to his family and that he hasn't been a good, you know, father and husband. It's like, okay, that scene like makes sense. But like you said, we didn't need another scene like that whole exchange with the boyfriend. I mean, there's some funny moments in it. Sure. Cause he's just so over the top, but is it needed? No. And that alone would have taken off, like you said, maybe like 10 or 10 or, 10 or you know, five to 10 minutes off of it. I think the movie could have worked like right at a t- two hours, even maybe even a little less than that. But like, if it hit like at, if you took out that scene and maybe just a couple, I think there were some scenes with characters that didn't get much screen time at all to the point that when they did, I was like, well, why did we even get this? Because they're not that big of a deal in this movie. Uh, I also forget. And you, you'll have to remind me, you know, there's that entire interaction where basically um Big Nick goes to the strip club where Ray's girlfriend's at. Big Nick has sex with her and whatever. Was that all done just to get Big Nick's cell phone number? So here's okay. So that's something that's actually interesting to bring up. So I was sitting there going like there's a fucking tracker on his car or his coat or like she fucking poisoned him or something and he's going to slowly start dying or something. I was waiting. And then like when he has that conversation on the phone. And he's like, oh, well, you must have got this from your from your girl. Is that's I mean, like, why else would you have Cause, like it's funny, too. That is something that's funny with Merriman in that scene, because he acts kind of like which actually kind of goes to show that he is kind of an idiot His yeah. he like is like super proud. He's like, yeah, he's like, I, yeah, I got your number, bro. And then Jarvis <laughs> is just kind of like Nick's just kind of like, well, yeah, you probably just got it from the girl. Right. And he's right. like and he gets like dead silent. Like, oh, I guess it wasn't that. Yeah, I guess it wasn't as smooth as I thought. So yeah, I guess that. So that whole thing was just so that he could get his personal number, and you're just kind (laughs) of, and you're thinking, like, like I said, I was thinking there was something else she did, whether it be she planted something on him, maybe she like planted drugs on it, like something to kind of like maybe, you know, hurt him in some way. So when it's revealed, it's like, oh, I did everything you asked. You're like, so you like went on his phone briefly (laughs) to get his number. It's just like, okay, I mean, that was a lot of of screen time for something that wasn't that important. Like, they have one call exchange during that whole exchange. And it's a good scene, but at the same time, you're like, wow, like, I mean, this guy really did not (laughs) think of a better thing to do with that. It's kind of, yeah, it further just reinforces not only is Merriman an idiot, but he's a fucking asshole who, like, pimps his girl out, who... You know, we get that scene of him getting released from prison and she's there waiting for him after, you know, God knows how long he's been in prison for this time. And then he's just like, yeah, you're going to fuck this guy for me just to get his cell phone number. 
He's yeah. got a guy on his crew that's a fucking tech person. He couldn't fucking figure out what this cop, this super well-known cop, apparently, because, you know, they find him on the internet in like 30 seconds. He can't find out what his fucking cell phone number is. He's got to be like, yeah, you just, you got to fuck him. It's That's the only way. way. It's the, the only, only way. way. It's Big Nick. It's the only way to get him. Get his number is if you, if you bone him. I need this. And then like, you feel bad for her. And then like, like she wakes up the next day and then he's gone. Like this girl just. Just being used all over the place. And then, yeah, but that's the greatest thing is Gerard or Nick's. Yeah, I'm mean, gonna like, just call them both. Nick's is just sitting there, and like instantly is just like, "Well, it's, okay, you got my number from her," and it's just like supposed to be like. And it's funny too because I like how they do that exchange because it really is from Ray's perspective supposed to be kind of almost a mic drop moment, and Gerard instantly is just like. Oh, okay. So you got it from the woman. Great, good job. And then they just cut. That's the end of the conversation. <laughs> like that's it's all it was for. It. There's no, no payoff. I think no, the only that thing that's that's reinforced there is that Merriman's like, yeah, I'm not cuffing up again, or something like that. And yeah. It's just like yeah. again, and if anything, that leads me into another scene that's completely unnecessary. I think, which is him getting released from prison. And it's like yep. the guy leaves when he's leaving prison. One of the guards is like see you soon and he's like no you won't it's like okay we don't need that interaction and that's probably like a three or four minute scene which is again it feels like it is especially yeah, it's like once it, you it's have a that, little lengthy yeah especially once you have that whole interaction between him and nick where he says i'm not cuffing up and it's like okay it's all you needed so that's all you needed exactly yeah and it's just and it's one of those things like it's not you know Luckily, it's not a three-hour movie, or this would be a little bit <laughs> harsher. Uh, but yeah, it's just—it's a kind of a bummer because all the pieces that do fit there are so streamlined that when there is a scene like that, it feels that much more out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is about—I mean, like even with like like with one of my complaints with it, I as far as the heist crew goes. Other than Donnie and, and like, and even honestly, Ray, we don't even really know that much about, which is fine as far as keeping them kind of as just like this kind of military force that we don't know that much about. I mean, even at one point, Gus like makes a comment when he's looking over his profile, like, what the hell happened to you that you're doing this? And I think that's the most anyone really addresses like his past. Yeah. And the other crew members, I mean, like they all have their place there, but we don't know like really much about them. So when the time comes that they do get knocked off, like there are a couple times when like they get shot where you're like, you could tell they were kind of a little bit more like, Oh, that guy got hit. And I was just like, I don't know him. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Keep <Yeah>. going. <laughs> they try to emphasize their deaths when they have this kind of like slow down. And then I'm just like, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. These guys are whatever. Guys need... Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is there's nothing where and we said this a little earlier which is it's a it's a plus for the movie too which is why it's 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 kind of like an odd thing to criticize but you need like where where it comes down to like where some of this should have been edited out is that you can have these guys just be this hard ass military crew that is clearly just this force that needs to be taken out mm-hmm. but at the end, it's still somewhat treated like, ah, oh, these guys, uh, do, you, do you want them to make it? And it's like, no, no, I don't want them <laughs> to make it. I've been watching them do horrible shit this entire movie. <laughs> like, it, it was really bizarre, which is like why scenes like that garage sequence with 50 Cent and him 
is like, well, I mean, that doesn't really change anything as to what I just witnessed. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, it's odd. So you're kind of watching this movie and they're like trying to make you feel certain things for characters that some of which you know you get no alone screen time with. And then characters like Ray, where we don't know all that much. I mean, even when he goes out, they're playing like this kind of sad music when he's about to, you know, he got mm-hmm. shot a couple of times and they're playing like the sad music. And it's like, I mean, I, I, I understand what they were going for to a degree, but at the same time, it's just kind of like cop murdering I mean, piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, well, you're like sitting there. They, they don't really give anything to them to where you could be like, well, maybe I could see their side a bit. Like, there's no moment like yeah big nick's a, a, an asshole and he does some fucked shit but there's never there was i guess there wasn't that point where i was like you know where, where there's some heist movies where you're kind of like oh, i kind of like both these guys i kind of want you know to see where it's going but it still ends the movie in a way where it's almost as if they wanted you to feel that way yeah like oh it's kind of a bummer for both of them and you're like nah, i mean yeah. you, you didn't really show us enough in that regard if you wanted to do that so then you go to those scenes and you're like, you should have just literally cut those scenes and make them just this fucking hardcore military force that's fucking shit up. It's similar, though, also to like how they handle Big Nick's crew, where it's like the guy that gets killed when Merriman opens up on them with the machine gun. I'm just like, I don't even know what his name is. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where, I don't know, I guess I wasn't expecting them to really put, place a lot of emphasis on certain crew members. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, the guy that wears the beanie. And doesn't really speak a lot. He got shot. Yeah, Yeah. he got shot. Like, that sucks. But that's the extent of it. And I don't know. I suppose, considering how long the runtime is, I was like, yeah, I would have hoped that they would have spent a little more time, not necessarily humanizing, but at least just defining certain characters. Like, the one guy, Gus, the only thing I remember about him is he threatens Donnie by being like, you know, the cliched thing of like, Dog, you're going to go to prison. You're going to get raped a lot. Like, that's the extent of his character, basically, is that <laughs> he has that very specific, very lewd threat uh, towards Donnie and whatnot, which, you know, is expected from these types of films. But at the same time, it's like, that's all I know about him. That's all I care about. or Not care about, but that's all I know about him. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing with the cop crew is they do. I think those characters just they have a lot more personality than the military crew other than Donnie. I mean, they have a bench press in their office. So yeah. 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 I mean, that's all you need to know, but like there's like exchanges with them, which I did find like genuinely funny and stuff where I was like, okay, that was funny. But with uh, Ray's crew, I mean, they're just so, I mean, like they're so like, like, you know, you said they're so precise and they got to get shit done, cut loose ends. Like, you're just like, damn, these guys are hardcore. So you're just kind of thinking like, well, why are we, why are we not? The movie's not quite treating them that way fully to a point where you go, I wonder in the director's cut or whatever, if there was more time dedicated to that crew to try to make them a bit more sympathetic in any way. Like maybe a reveal that, oh, cops killed my grandpa or something. Like, I don't know. Like, just some, like, I don't know. Some reveal where you go like, oh, like, you know, I'm not talking about like a Cruella situation where you're like, her parents were murdered by Dalmatians. Like, no, <laughs> like I'm not saying that, but uh, it's just, it feels odd in t- as far as in t- going in tone with everything else that we've been shown in the movie. 
Yeah. And it's not even a huge complaint. Like, it didn't derail anything by any means. It's just when it gets to that point and you think about those, some of those scenes that could have slimmed it down a bit, you go, yeah, that really that really didn't need to, to be there. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for the sequel, right, is that there might be a little bit more reining in, I suppose, on certain narrative elements, learning from the original film where it's the thing where I'm like, okay, you clearly have a more interesting story that you're kind of nest egging, if you will, for the conclusion. And I'm not saying like get to that sooner, but kind of trimming down some of the other elements, which is the one thing that always is a sticking point with me for this movie is that it's like, okay, clearly, you know, you are well sort of versed in the genre that you're dabbling in and you're doing certain things as like being cheeky about those tropes and whatnot, but just have less of that, I think. Because there's clearly a lot more to this um, than what you sort of people are expecting, I suppose. But um, in terms of the what the fuck, um, we mentioned a couple of those uh, already. And so I'm curious for you, like, what was one that you had? Right off the I, top? Mean the, I mean, the big one, which I was going to kind of go into, was how Nick gets caught cheating oh, yeah. in, in a drunken <laughs> haze. Uh, he texts his wife instead of the... Yeah, his, his side piece. But what he says to her is what made me just, I just, I, I started laughing. I just could not contain it. Is he writes to her, you a bad bitch. Yeah. That was so hot. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> He tweets what? like a middle schooler. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like sitting there like, that's what you were sending your side piece? And then like his wife was like, it just was so funny to me because he's like in the kitchen, clearly hung over. He's like drinking milk out of the cart and he's a mess. And then she comes down and he's like, oh, what's up? What's up? And then, yeah, she just pulls out this text. And you're thinking he like said, like, you know, she sent him nudes or something like really. He said something super salacious. And then it's just like, oh, you a bad bitch. That was hot. <laughs> you're just, I, I, I mean, <laughs> okay. My is when he's like, okay, it's street theater, babe. Like yeah. that street theater is my new favorite word that's been added to my vocab, my vernacular. It's so good. It's so good. Um. And then as far as another what the fuck for me, I did, I don't think it was necessarily done poorly because it was, I like we've been talking about, I think it's a great twist. I laughed a little bit when Donnie started doing the English accent. Yeah. <laughs> that did make me laugh a bit. Like I, it, I, it was totally, it fit and it wasn't even a bad accent, but it made me, it did make me laugh because I just was like, of course, they're just like, oh yeah. We're in England now. I would like, also ah, love yeah. to know why Michael Bisbang is in there for ninety seconds. That's just <laughs> such a random cameo. But yeah, I mean that's really kind of it for my what the fucks. And like even like I said with my with my bads for this, this movie's like it's a very solid movie. Yeah, man, I'm so glad that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if anything, um, I would bet you'll enjoy it even more on a rewatch, just because of the fact that you know you can start to piece together some of the moving bits um, that go towards that that heist finale, like we mentioned. But, you know, I didn't have a great deal of the what the fucks, just because I think, you know, we kind of, we probably talked about a good deal of them already. But, you know, there were two for me. And one was the scene when he goes to meet his daughter, just an insanely large playground for an elementary oh, school. Like, <laughs> that is a good must point. Run two football fields from <laughs> where her classmates are to him at the far end of this fence. And none of the teachers say anything about it. There's no way that they know that that's Big Nick, her father. Like, 
you couldn't you, you couldn't tell who it would be. Exactly. They're so far away, and yeah, the teacher just like, huh, it's time to go in." Yeah, and, and the fact just, that her voice travels that far, by the way, is oh, she's great. got some pipes on her, which is crazy. Incredible vocal cords. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess my other one is, I guess it further proves what a fucking moron Merriman is. But his test to find out whether or not. Donnie is an informant is what did they serve in the cafeteria on Fridays at the prison? That's all that he needs. And he's like, Oh yeah, he's cool. Like that's it. He knew that it was silver dollar pancake, fucking pancakes, the most common breakfast food out there next to eggs and bacon. Like that's it. That's all it takes. It, that fucking just furthermore. I, yeah. I think initially that line was like, what the fuck? But as soon as I had watched the film more than once and I realized like, Oh no, this guy's just a fucking moron. I was like, yeah, that checks out, actually. Yeah, it fits. It works. <laughs> <laughs> That's not surprising. No, no, not at all. But, yeah, it's uh, quite a little heist movie for anyone who's a fan of a heist film. Well, that's going to lead us right into our rating for this film this week. And since I picked it, I suppose I'll go first. Um, and so I don't put too much pressure on you, but... Um, my rating for this film would be four beers out of six. This is a movie, like I said, that I enjoy more every time I watch it. I appreciate the fact that it is not afraid to make fun of itself by sort of the aggressive nature with which it leans into some of the genre tropes and whatnot. Um, you know, while it is uh, perhaps at the expense of uh, a lengthy runtime, I think those action sequences, when I think of like modern shootouts, um, are second to none. And if anything, it just makes me even more excited for the sequel to see how uh, the director and the creative team behind this can kind of build upon that. But at the same time, knowing they're going to have hopefully a similar approach and more complex approach to the sort of Ocean's Eleven influence of uh, the heists in this movie. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, I'm going to be boring. Uh, I, I will give it a very strong four. Let's go. Uh, I even I I've even thought about giving it a five, but I like I mean if it was just streamlined a bit, it, yes. it would hit it. And honestly, you know what? On a rewatch, I could even see myself going up. Uh, it, it really is a good movie. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'd give it a strong four. I I really I mean like I I already know I'm like I got like two people I need to show this movie to. Let's go. Um, so I, I look forward to watching it again uh, for first watch, though. Yeah, I give it a, a really solid four. I look forward to the sequel. I think that's going to be I mean, I think it's going to I mean, even just purely from an aesthetics, I think shooting it in, you know, in England is going to be a big enough, a big change in itself. And Nick being a fish out of water trying to find Donnie, uh, that'll be that'll be fun. So I, I, I hope they I mean, like you said, I hope they streamline it a bit um and if not then it is a long movie as long as all the pieces are there and it's all necessary then you know power to it well since it's filmed in england there's probably just going to be a bunch of knife fights in it but uh oh, that's how you up it everyone just starts pulling their karambits out it right. just turns into the raid which you know, <laughs> i would not hate actually i was about to say you know what honestly i don't think i'd hate that <laughs> Even though I don't know how it would look, like a, a cop going into another country and just stabbing everyone to death. If anybody's going to do it, I think we've established it's definitely going to be big fucking Nick. Big fucking Nick, baby. 
<laughs> All right, man. Well, that is going to do it for our chat about Den of Thieves, a film I was so happy to get to bring to the table. Thank you for listening to another episode of Genre Haze. If you enjoyed our back and forth bullshitting, please head over to your preferred podcast platform to rate and review the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Genre Haze Pod for updates about which films we'll be covering in the future. And as always, don't fear the depth of genre filmmaking. 